0: Well, over the past few weeks, we have uh, taken a closer look at some of the parables of Jesus that we find throughout the New Testament Gospels. Um, Jesus loved teaching in parables. In fact, there are somewhere between 30 and 50 parables. We don't know the exact number because it really depends on how you choose to classify a parable. Um, But for our study and for this purpose, we talked about how uh, one of the simplest definitions of a parable that I've ever heard and something that really does provide a foundation as we, as we study the parables is this, that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And when asked um, by his disciples why he chose to teach him parables, Jesus had these words to say. In the book of Matthew, chapter 13, verse 10 through 13, um, you can follow along on the screen this morning, it says, His disciples came and asked him, Why do you use parables when you talk to the people? And he replied, You're permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. And they'll have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. That is why I use these parables, for they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. So Jesus made it very clear for us, that, that not everyone who hears his parables would be able to understand them. He chose to speak in parables so that the people who were truly seeking a relationship with him, who, who, who were truly seeking to understand the truth that he was teaching and had a desire to apply those truths to their lives, those are the people who would be encouraged to live them out and would be able to understand. If you remember in week one, and if you weren't here, uh, in week one we talked about the parable of the prodigal son. One of my favorite parables and this is this is one of the most well-known stories that we have in Scripture from the book of Genesis all the way to Revelation and we were challenged with the truth that how we love God and how we love people really determines the kind of church that that we are. That's important, and that's because we're called to love like Jesus loves. That was the whole point, the foundation for that parable that we, that we talked about in week one. Last week, in week two, we took a closer look at the parable of the ten bridesmaids. And in this parable, the, the bridegroom, or the groom, represents Jesus. And the bridesmaids, they represent all of us. And we talked about, I don't know that I necessarily want to be a bridesmaid, but <laughs> that's what they represent. They represent all of us. Now, five of the ten bridesmaids... And brought the right amount of oil that they would need for, for their lanterns so that they could have the light that they would need in the dark while waiting for the bridegroom or the groom. The other five, we learned, they ran out of oil, and while they were gone buying more oil, the bridegroom returned, and he took with him the five bridesmaids who were prepared. He took them into the party. That's, that's where they wanted to go. That's where they wanted to be. They were prepared, and that's where they went. The five who weren't prepared weren't able to go in. And the point was this, that we are all responsible for our own spiritual growth. Every single person in this room, we are all responsible for making sure that we are individually prepared to meet Jesus. Whether that's in our lifetime, if he's promised to return at that point, or when we go meet him after we pass on. So today, we're going to look at a parable that deals with a spiritual discipline that was extremely important to Jesus. Uh, So important, in fact, that it was the only thing that Jesus' disciples ever asked for Jesus to teach them. You might know what that is. See, the disciples saw Jesus uh, heal people. Can you imagine this, having a front row seat to these things? uh, Living your life with Jesus, walking with Jesus, uh, seeing Jesus heal people. They, They saw him turn water into wine. They saw Jesus walk on water, raise people from the dead, and befriend people whom society considered unlovable and unworthy. That's how Jesus lived his life. But what fascinated them the most was, and what the disciples wanted to learn from Jesus the most, was how they could pray like Jesus. I don't know, if I was the disciples, I think I would have been like, Jesus, teach me to walk on water. <laughs> you know, Jesus, teach me to turn water into Coke, because I like Coke. <laughs> Something along those lines. But the disciples, they, I imagine that just from their vantage point, they saw through the life of Jesus the power of prayer. They saw how much prayer of an importance it really was for, for God's people. You know, we could do an entire message series on prayer, and we will at some point. I, I love talking about prayer, um, what prayer isn't, what prayer is, and, and God's plan for, for prayer in our lives. But today we're going to talk about an aspect of prayer that I think people struggle with the most. Out of every aspect of prayer, everything that we could talk about, this This aspect of prayer is, without a doubt, the most difficult. And knowing each and every one of us better than we know ourselves, Jesus dedicated an entire parable to this issue so that his disciples could thrive in their prayer life. And so that you and I, generations later, passing down the the word of God could could thrive in our prayer lives as well. So it's only appropriate this morning that we start with prayer. And then Judy Volden, a member of our church, is going to come up, and she's going to read the parable that we have today. So let's pray, and then we'll start, we'll go into the text. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to worship you this morning, for your church to use their gifts to build up the church and to point people to Christ. And this morning, as we as we read this parable, I pray that it's, it's not my words that people take with them, but it's your word, that Holy Spirit, you would convict us in the area that we need conviction in our lives, that you would comfort us where we need comfort, that you would encourage us where we need encouragement. We thank you for this opportunity and it's for your glory. In the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Alright, Judy, if you want to come up and, and read the parable that we have today, it'll be found in the book of Luke, chapter 18, verse 1 through 8. Good
1: morning. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for the for his chosen ones who cry out him, for him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you that he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth?
0: Amen. So, Luke 18 is a unique parable. It's unique in this sense. Uh, many of the parables that Jesus taught help paint a clearer picture for us of what God is like. All right, when we look at Luke 18, uh, this particular parable, it shows us what God is not like. And in this case, God is not like the unjust judge that we just read about. So we're going to reread the parable this morning in smaller sections and then uh, unpack that together. And you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. So Luke 18, uh, verse 1 and 2, this is what we read. On the day Jesus, uh, one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared About people, So this parable starts by introducing us to a judge who's described as a person who doesn't fear or or love God, and he doesn't care about people. Now, as I'm reading this, there's nothing funny about this other than, isn't this an odd way to describe someone? I mean, to choose to use those words to, to describe someone's character or who they are as a person. I thought about it this way. It would be like my family moving into town. If you're a guest with us today, we just moved here a little over maybe a month ago. It would be like us moving into town and some of our uh, elders or church leaders taking us around town to meet different people in the community, different business owners, different families. And as we drive around and, and we're seeing things for the very first time, they say, hey, look look over there. There's a, a bakery over there. Man, that guy makes some of the best tasting bread in town. You've got to get some bread. And, and then knowing myself, I would go home and then immediately go get some bread. O- over here is a family who's been selling insurance for for generations. They're, they're so kind. They've always been really involved in the community. They love meeting new people. That's just the kind of family they are. Just around the corner is a small bookstore that's been here a really long time. The, the owner is a lady who's faithfully attended and served in her church for years. She, she loves kids and she loves helping young people use their imagination and their creativity uh, from what they read in books. If you look over in this house over here, there's a judge that lives in that house. He doesn't love God or care about people. (laughs) Wouldn't you hate to be described this way? But there's a reason that Jesus chose to do this. Let's keep reading in verses 3 through 5. It says, A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he, he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people. So he knew that about himself at least. And so Jesus was already telling him what, what he already knew. But this woman is driving me crazy. Husbands, don't look at your wives this morning. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant request. There's some humor here. So the widow lived in the same city as this judge. And she's repeatedly approached him about a problem that she's having with someone who she describes as her enemy. Now, we don't really use language like that I- anymore, do we? I mean, we don't say, hey, my next-door neighbor, this guy is my enemy. You know, we, we don't say things like that. It's kind of weird, and, and you definitely don't say it in, in public. You know, but she, she came to this judge, and she had no problem saying that. She disliked this person so much that she kept pressuring the judge to do something about the issue that she had. Now, we don't know if she bothered him for a week, If she bothered him for a month, a year, we have no idea. But what we do know is that the judge finally gives in, and he decides he's going to settle her case. Now, parents, we've all been there, all right? Whether you have kids at home right now or your kids are grown and they're out of the house, we have all been there. Our our kids want something so bad. They want it so bad that they're, they're willing to keep asking until they do one of two things. They either get what they're asking for or they give up because they've asked for, for so long and they're just worn out. They're just tired of asking. I'll, I'll use my boys as what I consider the perfect example. And if you haven't met my, my family, we have four boys. My boys are going to be the ones that run around and wreak havoc and it's, it'll be crazy. But I'll use them as an example. So our previous church that we attended, they have had a Thursday night service. Um, the point of this was to reach families who... Um, either worked in the, on the weekend or traveled on the weekend, and it really was a great outreach. It was a great way to reach people who couldn't be there on Sundays. Now, our Thursday night routine as a family became like clockwork. We, we'd arrive at church about 6.30 in the evening, and right as we walk in the door, what do you think our boys did? They ran straight for the cookies, all right? They, they made a beeline. They knew exactly where they were going. The only problem was we had just eaten dinner, like right before we came to church, all right, they'd already showered and got ready for bed because in an hour and a half, it was bedtime. We'd come to church, we'd worship and, and, and serve, and then we'd go home and they'd go to, go to sleep. And Faith and I, we know, even if they eat one cookie, if they get their hands on one cookie, it's going to mean that they're going to be up until like 11 or 12 at night, and that just does not work for us. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. So what do they do? They, they ask, and they, they beg, and then they ask some more. But former church members as my witness, I'll give you numbers if you want, Mom and dad never gave in to their constant requests. I'm here to say this morning, their nagging did not sway us, all right? So let's read a a couple more verses to close out this parable. It says, then the Lord said, in verse 6 through 8, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think that God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? So here's a truth about God that we learn through this parable. Um, God doesn't answer our prayers in the same way that this unjust judge answered the widow's request. Here, here's what I learned is that we don't bother God when we continually come to him in prayer. We don't bother God. He's not bothered like a parent who gets fed up with their kids when their kids keep asking and asking and asking. And that's because he's a perfect parent. He's a perfect father. He he never gets tired of hearing from you. And he doesn't give in to our prayer requests because we, we bug him. The truth is we don't bug God. We don't bother God. He loves to hear from you. So what do we do? This becomes the question for this morning. What do we do when we feel exhausted about praying for that one thing? When we get so discouraged in in prayer? What what do we do when life circumstances keep us discouraged and and we're struggling in prayer? When we've prayed for that family member for, for weeks and months and maybe years? When you've prayed for that son or daughter Like in in the parable of the prodigal son, to to come home and they just haven't. What do we do when we've prayed about something so much and it just feels like there's no answer? When we get discouraged in prayer. This morning, to help us learn what I believe are, are, are healthy truths and healthy foundations for persevering in prayer, I want to talk about a few truths that we learn about God through His Word. These truths are so applicable for, applicable for our lives when it comes to persevering in prayer. So the first thing is this, if you're taking notes, and we'll have it on the screen, is that when it's hard to pray, trust God's promises. When it's hard to pray, trust God's promises. So a lot of Bible scholars, um, college professors, and theologians, they believe that there are between 5,000 and 8,000 promises made by God to his people through his word. Now that, that's over 5,000 promises in God's word that you and I can claim in our own lives every single day. Now I like, I'm more of a history and English kind of person. My wife is, is math and science and, and everything else. But I'm not a math person, that's the point. So I kind of struggle with that, but I think I did my math right this morning. If, if you do the math, that's one promise that we can claim in our lives every single day for over 20 years. One promise made by God to his people through his word that we can claim in our own lives every day for over 20 years. And what's amazing is that a lot of God's promises have to do with prayer, specifically God's faithfulness to his people in prayer. And I believe that's what the end of Luke 18 is pointing to. It's reminding us that when it's hard to pray, we can trust those promises. So what what are some of God's promises about prayer? Well, instead of going through all 5,000 promises this morning, that would take forever. It's like doing a sermon series of all of Jesus' parables. It would take a year. This would take a really long time, so we're not going to do that. So what I thought about this week was I'd like to share three promises with you that have been really uh, impactful in my own life over the past couple years. These are promises that have meant a lot to me when my family has gone through a difficult season. So if the first thing, if you're taking notes, when it's hard to persevere in prayer, the first promise that we can claim is this, that God doesn't break his promises. God does not break his promises. In the book of Numbers, in the Old Testament, chapter 23, verse 19, it says, God is not a man, so he does not lie. He's not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? And then in the New Testament, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, it says, If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. And then listen to this, for he cannot deny who he is. See, these verses, they teach us about the character and the nature of God. It's not in him to make a promise and then not follow through with it. That's one of the things that I would say is impossible for God to do. He's unable to make a promise and not carry it out. That's just part of who He is. It's part of His character. And this can be so hard for us to understand because, church, we make promises that we don't keep. Every person in this room, at one point or another, whether it's something big that was a year ago or maybe it was this weekend or even this morning, at some point or another, every person in this room has made a promise that you didn't follow through with. A promise at work. Maybe you're working on a project and you say you're going to get it done and then you don't. Maybe it's a promise that you didn't keep to your spouse or or to your kids. You know, we've all made promises that we didn't keep, but God has never gone back on a promise that He's made. And that's why it's so important for us this morning. It's so important for us to claim this truth, especially when it's hard to keep praying, when it's hard to persevere in prayer. We can claim the promise that God does not break His promises. He doesn't break his word. The second promise that's meant a lot in my life over the past few years is this. God cares about our hurts. For some of you, this is the nugget of truth that you need to take with you today. God cares about our hurts. God cares about every season of our lives. He cares about every interaction that we have. He cares about every word that is spoken. Scripture teaches us that God knows the exact number of hairs on our head. That number has been a lot less for me over the past few years. God's word teaches us that he's especially close to us when we're going through something difficult. Maybe that's you today. You know, we tend, in, especially in American churches, we, we come through the doors on Sunday morning. And even if we've had the worst weekend, the worst time, maybe we got in an argument with our spouse or we yelled at our kids, we come through the doors and we just kind of put on a mask and we try to let people think, this is really what it's like. I like to say it's kind of like our Facebook accounts. People see that and they get so jealous of the vacation you went on or, you know, what you're doing with your kids or how happy you look. And, and our Facebook only shows surface level what's going on in our lives. It's not real. <laughs> you know, we only let people see what we want them to see. But God sees past the mask. He sees past the hurt. Everything that's going on in our lives. And scripture teaches us that he's especially close to us when we're going through something difficult. Uh, Psalm 34 verse 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. There's an active involvement that God has in our lives when we're going through something difficult. In Psalm 46 verse 1, it says, God is our refuge and strength. He's always ready in times of trouble. I don't know if you knew this or not, but most of the Psalms are either prayers or songs. And what's amazing is that for the early church, their worship would have consisted mostly of what they read in the book of Psalms. They didn't have some of the hymns that we sing today that that we love so much and we hold so tight to. They didn't have some of the contemporary worship or the modern worship that, that the younger generation loves and, and wants to sing. That would have all been modern and new for them. They, they didn't have that. What they had was God's Word. And here's what we know. Because they had God's Word, and that's what they taught, and that's what they sang, the early church knew that God cared about their hurts. They would have read Psalm 34 and Psalm 46. The early, early church knew that God cared about their hurts, even when their prayers weren't answered right away, or, or even answered in the way that they thought that they should be answered. And what's amazing is I truly believe this as we read New Testament Scripture is that the early church, they would have learned to worship in the midst of their pain and in the midst of their struggles because they knew that God never breaks His promises and that God cares about their hurts. God cares about our hurts as well. Jesus taught this truth in the Lord's Prayer. Remember, out of all the things that the disciples could have asked Jesus uh, to teach them, They asked to learn how to pray, and it was in the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught them these words. I love this. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what do we know about our time here on earth? Uh, John 16, verse 33 is a perfect verse for this. It says, I've told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Our our peace is in, in Christ. And then here it comes, church. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, and then here's the comma. I love the comma, because I've overcome the world. Here on earth, you're going to have many trials. You're going to have difficult times. You're going to have broken relationships. You're going to have people that make promises to you and break break those promises. You're going to have death and families. You're going to have things that that separation from kids and, and things that you deal with that are unique to your situation. But God says, in this world, you're going to have those trials. You're going to have those sorrows. That's a a promise. (laughs) We're going to have those. But here's here's the promise that, that solidifies that. Take heart because I have overcome the world. What Jesus has accomplished on the cross has already been finished. And when it's hard to persevere in prayer, it's important for us to remember that God cares about what it is that you're going through. He cares about that. He cares about your hurts. He cares about your habits, you know, the things that nobody else knows about you, the things that you wouldn't share with anybody else, the things that only you know about. He cares about those things. He cares about your hang-ups. He wants to walk with you through whatever it is that you're going through this morning. You see, prayer, we we talked about a definition for for parables, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. If I had to come up with a definition for prayer, that was one sentence, and easy to understand, but encompass the truth of what prayer is. I believe that prayer is a partnership and a relationship with God. Prayer is a partnership with God. It's the result of a growing and thriving relationship with God, even when that relationship is is tough sometimes. And when it's hard to persevere in prayer, you can claim the promise that God cares about your hurts. You can use that as foundation for your prayers. I have found, I'm, I'm not great being put on the spot. If I can prepare something, I feel a lot better about it. I'll have people in the church ask me to step up and like, hey, will you pray for this? You know, it's because I'm the pastor. They think I should do those things, right? And, and I'm not good on, on the spot, but what I've found when you don't know what to pray, just pray Scripture. Just open God's Word and, and pray what it says. God, it says here that, that peace is in you and I, I don't feel peace right now. Help me have peace in you. You can go through and it says, here on earth, we're going to have many trials. God, I know my my friend is really struggling right now. I know you've said that we're going to have trials. I know that you said that that we're going to have struggles. But you also say that we can take heart, that we can trust in you, that we can believe in you because you have overcome the world. Help us do that today. Church, that is our prayer. That is our cry because we claim that he is who he says he is. Amen? When it's hard to persevere in in prayer, claim that as as foundation. The third and final promise, and, and this will be the, the last one, is that when it's hard to pray, God is more than able to answer your prayers. When it's hard to pray, God is more than able to answer your prayers. This promise is huge. In, in Luke chapter 1, verse 37, it says, For nothing is impossible with God. If you look at the context of this verse, we share this around Christmas sometimes because it's about the, the, the promise of Jesus' birth, something that seemed impossible for human standards. But with God, all things are possible. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Now all glory to God, who is able, through His mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. We, we hear this verse and we think, Yeah, God can accomplish infinitely more than we ask, but it ends with this idea that even if you don't ask it, which you should, but even if you don't, God knows what you're thinking about, and he's able to accomplish infinitely more than what you're even thinking about. That's how big our God is. That's how amazing our God is. We don't even have to ask him, and he knows. He already knows. These two verses are promises that are spoken throughout God's Word. And here's what you find from, from the earliest sections of Scripture, if you went chronologically to how it was written, you find that generation after generation of people claimed these the, this truth, the, the, the truth that we see in these verses as foundation, as, as, as truth in their life for family. And today, families post them above doors. They write them on their walls. They, they recite these for generations these have been the life verses of many of God's children. But you know what I found this week as I was preparing for this message, as I was looking at different commentary and, and, and things like that, is that a lot of commentary that people write don't really talk about these verses or the truth behind these verses. And the more I'm reminded about these promises and the more I'm challenged to claim them in my own life, the more I believe that people are really afraid of the truth that comes behind these verses. What do I mean by that? Well, as humans, it's, it's in our nature to want to control as much of our own lives as we, as we can. We like to take life situations into our own hands and try to solve our own problems, our own issues, our own struggles, without much help from God. You know, when you claim these promises in your life, when you truly believe that nothing is impossible with God and that He can accomplish anything, Far greater than we can ask or or imagine. What, What happens in our life is you're forced to let go of the struggles that you're dealing with. You're forced to let go of your problems and you're forced to give those to God. That scares a lot of us. It scares a lot of us because we like to control everything that goes on in our own lives. But it's foundational when it comes to persevering in prayer. We have to believe that God can truly do anything. And we have to be willing to give him the struggles and the issues that we face on a daily basis. We have to be willing to lay those at the feet of Jesus. I believe that the foundation of Luke 18, the foundation of persevering in prayer, starts with claiming the promises of God. Claiming the promise that God never breaks his promises. He, he always keeps his word. Even when we don't, he does. Claiming the promise that God cares about our hurts. He is especially close to those who are going through a difficult season. Maybe that's you today. Claim that promise. And claiming the promise that he's more than able to answer our prayers. Remember, church, nothing is impossible with God. He can do far more than we even ask or imagine. So we get to the end of Luke 18, and naturally, my mind takes us back to the beginning, to the start of Luke 18, which is how we're going to end our time today. You see, Luke 18 begins by telling us the purpose of this particular parable that we read today. And I imagine as Jesus was sitting with his disciples and sharing these words, the attitude must have been so unique, just so incredible. Luke 18, verse 1 says, One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray, that they should never give up. The second main point for today, and this is is what we'll end with, is that when it's hard to pray, keep praying and never give up. You see, without the right foundation, persevering in prayer is impossible. Maybe you felt like that. The baggage that you have in your life, the struggles that you have, the relational issues, the the tension that you feel in your life, it just follows you every single week. Have have you given that over to God? Have you begun to claim these promises in your life? But Jesus encourages us that we should keep praying. We We should never give up. And we're able to pray because we claim the promises of God is our foundation. We believe that He is who He says He is, and we believe that prayer is all about a partnership and a relationship with God. Remember, our prayer doesn't bother God. If you hear anything else today, hear that. Our prayers don't bother God. He, he doesn't just give in to them because we're a nuisance to Him. He loves you and He loves to hear from you. So here's my charge for the church today. Here's my challenge for all of us today, is that we would keep praying. We would never give up, and we would claim the promises of God as our foundation in prayer.